0: This morning we're going to look at the the idea of Christmas in eternity. Romans chapter eight is where, where we are going to end up in a few minutes. Before we get there, I, I just kind of want to lay the groundwork for this. What is Christmas about? In in most for most of the Western world, Christmas is a, an end of the year holiday that involves A lot of food and parties and being with people, family and friends, people that you love. uh, Exchanging presents, especially giving presents to children. For Christians, we recognize that Christmas is really the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ at a point in history in a tiny village called Bethlehem, about 8 or 10 miles south of the city of Jerusalem, about 2,022 years ago. But we are raised with... a view of Christmas in our country. We are simply brought up in it. We, we have, all of us have memories of Christmas trees and all of those things. There was never a point where our families said, you know, these events took place and so we are going to recognize these events through this. We were simply brought up with it as part of our environment. We never even questioned it. I was raised in Southern California, spent the first 33 years of my life living there. We spent the next eight or nine, eight living in in Central California. And and then we moved to Nebraska. So I grew up in the 60s and the 70s at a time when air quality in Southern California was pretty bad. And I never questioned that the sky was brown. That's what the sky is. The sky is yellow-brown. And then we moved to Central California... And it was one of, our, one of the first trips we made down to my folks. And we, we came through the mountains, um, past Magic Mountain and Santa Clarita, down 14, and, and toward the L.A. Basin. And all of a sudden, you see the layer. And you realize that what you were raised in is not the norm. Well, Christmas can be that way for us. It's just kind of an accepted thing. It's so familiar that we don't think about it. So Christmas is is putting together, putting some carols together here. Christmas is all about the silent night when, while shepherds were watching their flocks by night, it came upon a midnight clear that angels we have heard on high told them, O come, all ye faithful, and see a way in a manger in O little town of Bethlehem, the infant holy, infant lowly. They went to the stable and they said, what child is this? And Mary and Joseph said, what are you doing here? And they said, hark, the herald angels sing and told us tonight is the first Noel. And we thought to ourselves, oh, come, let us adore him. Mary said, what do you mean? What child is this? This is Emmanuel. And they said, don't get on your high horse, Mary. Did you know? You enjoyed it more than the church in Creighton did this morning, so I appreciate that. See, we've got all of this cultural stuff that we don't ponder. We, we just don't think of it. And that's really danger, dangerous. The Lord said to Israel in, in, in Isaiah 29, This people draw near to me with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me. And their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. We want to truly reverence the Lord. We don't want to just memorize words that we, that we parrot and we repeat. Um, most of us don't have a liturgical background in terms of Roman Catholic or Anglican or, or Lutheran or something like that. But, but all of us were raised with a liturgy. All of us were raised with something that is so expected that we can do it without thinking about it. I don't want to do that. I, I want to think about the birth of the Lord Jesus, and I want to think about it in terms of Christmas and eternity. Christmas and eternity. Now, as we do this, I I want to give you fair warning. I'm going to ask you to think. I'm going to ask you to think. Our intellects are not sinful. Thinking is not sinful. Thinking is not contrary to the work of the Spirit on our lives or the revelation of Scripture. We are warned in the, in the scriptures to stay away from worldly philosophies, but we are also commanded to think and to put our brains to use. And so we're going to think about Christmas in eternity. Now, as we think about Christmas, if we begin with the birth of the baby, we begin too late in the story. If we begin with the angel's visit to Mary, we begin too late in the story. If, if we begin with Isaiah's prophecy, Unto us a son is born. Unto us a child is given. We, we're starting too late. If if we even go back to Genesis chapter three verse fifteen, where God says that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, we're starting too late. Because Christmas actually begins in eternity, and we see that in Romans chapter eight verse twenty nine. Now I, I want to acknowledge openly before you that Romans 8 and comes very late in the whole process of, of biblical revelation. Now let's talk about biblical revelation for a moment. The Bible, of course, runs from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Genesis was written around 1445 B.C. by Moses. Revelation It was written by John around 90 or 95 A.D. Revelation 22.5 is actually the last verse in the Bible that has to do with the eternal state. The remainder of Revelation 22 is kind of a closing application not to fool around with those words. The record of Scripture then covers as far as we typically think this creation. Genesis 1.1 to Revelation 22.5. And we're aware that there's eternity. We're aware that there's eternity past and eternity future. And I've put quotes around past and future because it really doesn't make sense to think about eternity as having time. That's just not the nature of eternity. But that's how we tend to think of it. We've got eternity past and eternity future. Now, the truth is when we think about eternity, we tend to wall it off. And we say, this time where we live, this is what's real, it's what's physical, it's what matters. It's when things are actually happening. Whatever happened in eternity past can't be investigated, it can't be understood. It's almost like everything was on pause. And we've got no idea what's coming in eternity future. It, it is so far off in the distance that we, we can't imagine what it might be. So we wall off eternity and we say this is what's real. What we have today is what's real. And in doing this we separate. We've got eternity past, then time, then eternity future. But the truth is there's only one eternity. And it runs all the way through. By the way, eternity is not something that exists apart from God. There is an eternity because God is eternal. It's not that before time was created, before the universe was created, there was a thing called eternity and God occupied that thing. It's that before anything was created, there was only God and God is eternal. And so eternity itself is defined by who God is. There's one eternity and instead of eternity being walled off, it's really time that's walled off because time had a beginning in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And time, as we understand it, will come to a close at the end of this creation and the, the beginning of what we would call the eternity future or the eternal state. And what this means ultimately then is that time itself is subject to eternity and not the other way around. We would tend to think what happens now determines eternity. But what we're going to see in Romans 8, 29, is that it's what happened in eternity that determines now, that determines today. So talking about Romans, as I mentioned, Genesis was written around 1445 B.C., Revelation around 90 A.D., and Romans is written around 56 A.D. That's very late in the whole process of the unfolding of revelation. In fact, you know that I like to do this sort of thing. I like to kind of get comparisons and numbers and all that. And I thought if, if the Bible was written over the period of a year with Genesis being written on January 1st and revelation being written on December 31st, the book of Romans would be written December 17th tomorrow. If this was the year that God was unveiling all of scripture Today, we would not have the verse we're looking at. That's how late in God's revelation it comes. Nevertheless, what we see is that Romans 8.29 bridges past time to eternity back then, which doesn't make any sense, I know, and eternity future. So looking at Romans 8.29 the Apostle writes, For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He, the Son, would be the firstborn among many brethren. For those whom He foreknew prior to creation. For those whom God foreknew before anything had been created, He predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, at the end of time, at the end of the age. So let's talk about these, these words because they're important. We're told that God foreknew his people. This is not a noun, it's a verb. It doesn't say God had knowledge of his people. It says that God knew his people in relationship. He knew them. As you and I know one another, he simply adds the prefix So that this knowledge that God had took place before anything had been created. That's really kind of a startling idea. We are so bound by time that we can't foreknow anything. We can't know something in reality before that thing exists. We go day to day to day to day. We can't go back. We're just kind of stuck here i I think a, a picture of this it's not the greatest picture perhaps but a picture of this would be coming into this room and immediately turning and putting your nose against the wall and and walking sideways all the way down to the corner and then turning the corner and following every contour of the wall all the way around the third wall the fourth wall and when you get to the door you die we're born we make our way around in a linear way And we die. There's never a point where where we can stop here and go backwards. There's never a point where we can be on the opposite wall and turn back and come here. We call that memory. But but memory is just a, a review of what's taken place. We don't actually experience it again. And it's a distorted view at that. But think about this then. As we are doing this, in the room of our life, God comes into the room and he can go anywhere he wants to at any time he wants to, and when he goes to that place, we are there. If he comes back here, we are there. He's not bound to time. He exists outside of time. Time exists within God. God doesn't exist within time. And so God foreknew his children before anything had been made. And he foreknew them in such a way, it says, that he predestined them to become conformed to the image of his Son. Now, he didn't predestine them to hear the gospel. He didn't predestine them to have the opportunity to receive Christ or reject Christ. He predestined them to become conformed to the image of his Son. That's, isn't that the whole point of the gospel? The whole point of the gospel is that we would be like Jesus. And so the apostle says, back before eternity ever began, God foreknew his people as though they already existed, and he knew them as they would not exist until the end of time. Bridging this then on the the left side, those whom he foreknew, God knew you as a Christian before anything had been made, and he knew you as though the, the right side... The conformity to the image of Christ had already taken place. God has already known you that way. You haven't known him that way. Because we're still going around the wall with our nose pressed to the paint. But he has already known us that way. When he looks at us today, he knows that we don't know him that way. He knows that we are still learning. We are still growing. We are still making our way along but he also knows that he has predestined us to this glorious purpose of the gospel and he just he he doesn't just know that we will get there one day he's already experienced relationship with us because he's an eternity and eternity simply is the name of god in the bible is yahweh yahweh is the hebrew word i am god is From our point of view, we see in the book of Revelation that God is the one who was, who is, and is to come. But that's for us. As far as God himself is concerned, he simply is. So at a point where God is and nothing had yet been, he knew actively you as his child like you'd already gone through the full process of rebirth, conversion, transformation, and glorification. This is really significant. And and it's worth asking the question, could this change? Could God foreknow you in eternity past as his child eternally in relationship, but get to the future and find out that you didn't trust Christ or you lost your salvation in some way? No. No. Because God's knowledge is perfect. If God foreknew you as his child, active relationship in eternity past because of what he was going to do and what he knew would take place and you didn't actually arrive at that point of being like Jesus, he wouldn't be God. He would be just a big version of us with a lot of fantasies. But instead, he actively foreknew us as his children. And just in case you're not completely convinced of this, Romans eleven two 2 says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Here, Paul is speaking about the nation Israel. Somebody says, what about Israel? Hasn't God abandoned Israel? And Paul says, no, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And he goes on to explain that, that there, in a sense, there's two Israels. There's the nation, there's that national political ethnic group, And then there's the spiritual Israel, those that are actually Israel, those that are actually his people. And he says, God has not rejected his people. God has not rejected his people. In fact, those whom God foreknew in eternity past have to be conformed to the image of Christ. Or God himself shatters into a billion pieces, and he's not God. We couldn't be conformed, though, to the image of God the Son. God is triune. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All equally God, co-equal, of the same essence as God. Three persons, one God. We could not be conformed to the image of God the Son because, simply put, we can't be God. The only way for us to be conformed to the image of God the Son would be for us to become gods and we're not going to become gods. So Romans 8.29 actually contains this little hint of the promise of the Incarnation. That God's plan, which began in eternity past and is fulfilled in eternity future, contains in it the nugget of the incarnation. That in order for us to be conformed to the image of his son, there must be an image we can be conformed to. And it can't be an image of God. It has to be an image of a holy, perfect man. And of course, we know by the time Romans is, is written, all of that has taken place. But what we see is is the, the unfolding of Scripture perfectly weaving all of this together there's no surprise so the word had to become flesh in jesus christ and dwell among us full of glory glory is of the only begotten of the father holy sinless the father chose mary as the mother of the boy the holy spirit overshadowed her and caused her to conceive a child she gave birth to a son who would be the son of God and called him Jesus, just as his father had commanded he be named. And this is Christmas. That God in eternity past said, I know in relationship this man, this woman, and I predestined them at the end of of time to be perfectly conformed to my holy son so that for all eternity... I have an utterly perfect, pure, peaceful, glorious relationship with them. So looking at Romans eight, twenty-nine and thirty, we see this past and present and future as though it were already past. For those whom he foreknew, that's in the past, he also predestined, that's in the past, to become conformed to the image of his son. That's culminating at the end of time. After we have died, been resurrected, been glorified, and then actually gone through and received every blessing and every reward and every crown intended for us and entered the eternal state. So it's not just the the moment Jesus comes back in the rapture or... Uh, resurrects our bodies. There is a little bit more after that as as he shares the fullness of his glory with us and we become like him as a glorified human being. So that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren and these whom he predestined in the past, he also called and that's taking place now in the day by day living of our lives. He predestined me before anything was created, but he couldn't call me until I was here to be called. And so God penetrates time. The God who exists outside of time and, in fact, created time, entered time and subjected himself in time so that he could walk with us in our time and bring us to a sure end. These whom he predestined in the past, he called in their present. And these whom he called in their present, he also justified in their present. Because when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are granted the fullness of his righteousness. The fullness of his righteousness. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to be more his. There's nothing you can do to be more righteous. You can be sanctified. You can grow in the practical outliving of your life in Christ. But you don't grow in the practical living of, you, of your life in Christ in order to earn some sort of heavenly reward. You live that out because you've already been declared as righteous as Jesus himself. That's why you can come before the Father at any time. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. And that's something that we have yet to experience in time. But God, prior to anything being created already saw you as a Christian foreknown predestined called justified glorified that's Christmas that's what Jesus came to do that's exactly what Jesus came to do and so as as we think about bringing this home We see that before anything had been created, God the Father foreknew his people. As his people. He didn't just know about us. At a time that you and I have not yet experienced, he has already known you in perfect fellowship. You haven't arrived there yet. Because we're still walking around with our nose pressed against this wall, but see, he's over on that side. And he knows that as you come around the wall, he's walking with you every step of the way. He is never away from you. We see that God predestined those whom he foreknew to be conformed to the image of his son in the culmination of time and the commencement of our, our eternal state, which required that the son of God become like us, that he become human. Hebrews 2 says, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in every way so that there would be something to it for us to be conformed to, an image that we could actually be conformed to. And we see that the purpose that God had in creating the world was not just to create something that he would kind of randomly enjoy, and then maybe in that world there would be some, some little nuggets of creatures that he could invest himself in. But the purpose of creation was the fulfillment of what he had already experienced himself in eternity. He's bringing about what He already knows to be factual and true. It unfolds for us because we're trapped in time and locked in time, but God is already enjoying you and I in eternity. He's already knowing us beyond our sin and beyond our weakness and beyond our doubts. We see that before creation ever took place, God had a single objective regarding his people, and that objective has never changed. I I usually learn every time I come to the the scriptures, especially when I invest the time for sermon preparation. And last night as I was finishing, as I was studying and contemplating and knowing that, that, that these are really kind of abstract ideas and trying to figure out how do I make them graspable for me, It struck me that Jesus' genealogies both go back to Adam. You ever thought about the fact that Jesus' genealogies go back to Adam? See, Jesus' genealogies go back to Adam because from Adam on, there was never any plan but to bring forth Jesus Christ. If God's purpose had been, let's start with Adam and see what happens then our our lineage, Jesus' lineage, would have gone back to Seth. If God had said, well, man's going to fall, but let's see how man does on his own, and then he decided, well, we'll destroy everybody in a flood, then then Jesus' genealogy would have ended with Noah because that's where God really started him. But he takes him all the way back to Adam, and he takes Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam because that was the purpose all along. In fact, the same word foreknew, that verb foreknew, is used about the father's foreknowing his own son in the book of Hebrews. So Christmas didn't begin 2,000 years ago. In the little town of Bethlehem, it began before creation itself. When God said, There is a people that I choose to know, and my knowledge of them in relationship is perfect and active, And because I know them, I am going to create them and predestine them and conform them to the image of my son, which means my son has to be born as a human being so that there's something for them to be conformed to. And his life will be perfect. He will never sin. He will die as a sacrifice. He will rise for their justification. And I will bring them by the power of my spirit into relationship with me. I will walk with them every step of the way. Every pain, every sorrow, every mistake, every sin, every act of rebellion. I have covered by the blood of my son and I support them by the strength of my spirit. So that at the end of their life, they come to me as I have already known them. I don't know if you have ever wondered have I just blown it? Have I ever just have I just lost it? Have I offended God so greatly that I'm done? If you're in Christ, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you can't. You can't. Because in eternity past God knew you in eternity future. And if he has revealed the gospel to you, if he has shown you your sin, if he has granted you repentance, if he has granted you his spirit and given you new life, you're already there. You just haven't caught up with yourself yet. I I love this. I just absolutely love this. I needed this this week. I needed this this week. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us, for the grace you have for us, and for the wonder of what it is to be yours. We thank you that your knowledge in eternity past is so utterly perfect. That it isn't theoretical. That you foreknowing us was not simply your hopes and dreams but something you actually did. And Lord, we thank you that it's because of your grace and the exercise of your majesty and your sovereign power that we were born in the first place being who we are and that we have come to understand who you are and what the gospel is to some degree and come to put our faith in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that from the moment we put our faith in you, the Holy Spirit does not abandon us. And the Father and Son and the Spirit, the triune God, walk with us every moment of every day to guide us, to comfort us, to correct us, so that we would be conformed. And we thank you, Lord, that your knowledge of us is not foreknowing us as slaves or peasants, but foreknowing us as your children, as your beloved children. And so would you grant us the peace of knowing that even when we falter, you don't abandon us. That you keep your hand on us. That we don't need to be afraid of you. Although you're God and we ought to fear your name. And Lord, as we come into this Christmas week, as we... I think over the next couple of weeks of of what it means to be in Christ and we encounter other people. Would you show us how to encourage those who don't know you toward you and to encourage those who do know you to hang on to you and to rejoice in your great gift. The Lord Jesus born in Bethlehem at a point in history because you had already known us. We thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' holy name, amen.